It's lights out and away we go. What a match day this was. Do you remember? Podcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, and live via the paid subscription of Zencaster, the campus of Otterbein University, Westbrook, Ohio. This is Tackling the Chicane. So the song September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. I kind of, I went back a bit. 1979, I would have been eight years old. And I was blessed by someone in my household as a young lad who put an 8-track player in my bedroom. And when I would go to sleep at night, I would load different eight tracks into the the player and this particular album uh, speaks to me a bit uh, reached number one on the u.s uh, r&b chart number eight on the hot 100 so if you listen to this with headphones on you'll appreciate it much much more just a really good track Alrighty, good selection for sure. Uh, also, I suppose, uh, in spirit of the recording, um, it is mid-September, and uh, you know, great song. I feel like uh, that's a, a a song that every high school marching band in America uh, has to know <laughs> if, if they're good. Yeah. Yes. If they're really good, yes. If, yeah. if they want to play the same lame, you know, 1800s marching songs and <laughs> not so much, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. In- I just, I seem to recall my high school playing that one a, a number of times. Really? Yeah. My a tenure. T- okay. Well, a ton of great uh, horn section there. And if, uh, the Lake High School marching band chooses as such, then I'm not, I, I wouldn't be upset about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I felt yeah, they, they always played at least uh, half decent tunes. So, you know, as, as far as that goes, 
not bad. All right, well, getting on to the, the topic of things, it's probably going to be a sort of a loosey-goosey program tonight. Um, if I'm sure if you're kind of tuned into the soccer world, you'd know that right now we're coming off the end of a international club soccer break here. So basically this is the first window of the season where we uh, we take a weekend off of club soccer to uh, uh, allow for national teams national teams to play and um, do whatever they need to do within their own confederation. So not uh, a whole lot going on uh, on the club side of things, but we will uh, at least brush over the uh, U.S. men's national teams uh, friendly against Oman. Um, and on to the, the motorsports side of things. Uh, we'll be previewing the is it Malaysia Grand Prix, I believe? Singapore. Singapore. Okay, sorry. Sorry to our Southeastern Asian uh, listeners who we both probably just upset there. Uh, so Singapore, uh, we'll be previewing that race. That is this weekend as we record. And then we also take a turn into the world of oval racing and NASCAR as well. So uh, things heating up there. So without further ado, why don't we uh, get into this? Yeah, so we'll just, I don't know if we need to go through standings or not, but we'll take a quick look here at the driver standing points situation that we have going on. Um, obviously, Britt. Verstappen is probably going to win uh, driver and constructor at this point. Um, 364 to 219. Uh, and of course, it's Perez following closely behind um, Alonso with 170. And then here's where it gets a little bit spicy. You know, just a quick six point deficit. For Lewis Hamilton to Fernando Alonso, Sainz 117. So, eh, I think he's going to end up fifth overall, probably. Um, as we've talked about before, it's great to see the uh, Aston Martin driver at least shuffling around there in the third position. Uh, Ferrari, Leclerc. 111 and Russell 109. So a potential battle there as we close out uh, this GP season. And I don't think anybody's really shocked or surprised at where the top two or three are, but maybe when we get to the mid pack, um, there could be a little bit of a, shift there hopefully and we as you and i have talked about have great expectations that someone will win <laughs> an, a race this year other than um the stalwart that is max verstappen so we, we shall see yeah with each passing gp you know you're uh 
asking yourself the same question, uh, will someone not named Max Verstappen uh, win the GP? And it's still, to me, seeming like no. I haven't really seen any indication that um, from what we can predict uh, of these races that Max Verstappen would, would lose. Um, I think we both come to the consensus at this point that it's going to take something out of his hands <laughs> to, to make him lose a race this season. Um, I think we have sort of solidified the conclusion probably a while ago, but you know, definitely now that um, Verstappen is the best driver in the best machinery. So I don't think there's much room for anyone else to uh, win races uh, this season, uh, of course, I mean, I think we're still have nine or so GPs, eight or nine GPs left. So, I mean, never say never, but it does seem like, uh, based off what we can predict that it's, it's not going to be anyone else. Yeah. And I think, you know, as far as constructor standings go, it's, it's a little tough to look at this grid here. 583 for Red Bull points. And then the next closest is Mercedes with 273, uh, 228 for Ferrari. So, you know, depends on, on finishes and podiums. Can Ferrari unseat Mercedes? Maybe that's our best look or our best thing to watch. Uh, just, 11 points to Aston Martin from Ferrari. So maybe the three, four position in constructors will be interesting to watch. After that, it falls very way off <laughs> at 115 with McLaren Mercedes and then Alpine at 73 and six. After that, it doesn't matter. Yeah, basically. They, you know, they, we're talking about teams that have you know, 21 and 11 and 10 points. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, yeah, I think we're at a point where the top and bottom of the grid are sort of locked in or more so, you know, at least we know in general where those bottom teams are going to be. Um, it, I, at this point, we're going to be looking for sort of individual battles and uh, I guess just individual moments in races to kind of uh, find the, the drama of the rest of this season. It doesn't seem like we're going to get that um, at the top necessarily, but um, in terms of drivers, but I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, just, you know, kind of have reached a nice <laughs> malaise in, in terms of I am just embracing whatever happens this season because we know it's pretty much a wash in terms of who's going to be taking home the hardware. So just looking for interesting things that will happen. I, I do think, and maybe we can get into this after we kind of preview the uh, Singapore or yeah, Singapore GP, um, maybe some drivers that might be on the hot seat per se, but um, yeah, I, I think we're just looking at the individual stuff at this point. 
So first GP 2008 at this particular circuit, uh, 62 laps, um, 4.94 kilometers is the distance on the course. Um, and let me just scroll here. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the track map and, and it should be a really fun race to watch. There's a lot of really tight kinking corners on this race uh, course. Um, particularly looking at turn seven, eight, nine, they're all really hard kinks. So not there, it's not the sweeping turns that you see on some of the other courses. Um, not a whole lot of flat land here. Um, sector, uh, three and one are probably your best chance at passing. So, you know, we will see how these teams kind of divulge this track and figure out exactly how, what the strategy is for the GP here coming up. Yeah. Um, so we know obviously Red Bull kind of in the driver's seat or even more so than that, but do you kind of, do you get the impression that there's a team that maybe has a little bit of, of pressure to perform, um, I guess, you know, there always is, but if there's a team that kind of sticks out to you or maybe a driver that you point to and go, yeah, I definitely need to see something here. Um, if I had to choose, I would say uh, Alpine and Pierre Gasly. Okay. And he has done quite well. And I say that because I don't, I, I hate I don't want to give a nod to Ferrari, but obviously, you know, they need to stick with their uh, race strategy and try to, you know, upset uh, Fernando. You know, Alonso just kind of cruises through these GPs. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but he, he just seems to always be in the mix. He's a very... Um, calculated driver as far as his choices um i think honestly i alpine is probably the team that needs to make a little splash here in the last nine gps but i agree what say you yeah, I would agree with the sentiment that Alpine needs to kind of get something going here. Um, just a team that has really underdelivered in terms of race performance this season, um, which I think is much to the annoyance of, of their fans and uh, the people that pay the bills. And I think that's why we saw their team principal walk out or basically a mutual agreement uh, to part ways um, earlier on in the season before the summer break. So I do think, yeah, what's weird is Alpine have actually been on the podium twice this season, um, which is which is pretty interesting, although they are the epitome of boomer bust, and it's mostly bust. 
this season. A lot of DNFs, a lot of double DNFs. Um, so, yeah, I would agree. I think the pressure is on Alpine to kind of perform, especially with the new ownership and influx of cash. They'll be hoping to get uh, some good performances in. And also, I think there's a driver by the name of Logan Sargent who ne- desperately needs to start getting some points. I think Williams are a team that are trying not to be back markers anymore. And you can kind of see some good progress being made this season. Um, but Logan Sargent has not beat Albon in qualifying or in a race and has yet to score a point. So I think he really is going to need to show something more in the last sort of third of this season otherwise i wouldn't be shocked to see him replaced yeah that will be a very late contract in the season negotiation and possibly um you know as much as i want to root for american drivers you know we could see some kind of shuttle there at the end of of I don't think they're gonna do it before. Uh, Williams needs to stay on track, and you know they've they've made some inroads, but not not to the point where I think Sargent has um, solidified his seat for next year. Yeah, I would agree. I I would be pretty worried if I was him, and I think he kind of knows that this is sort of now or never um, for him. And I I don't think, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to be an F1 forever, but you you would hope and expect his stay to be a bit longer than one season. Um, So, yeah, I'm... He's definitely someone that I would say is sort of, if his seat isn't hot, it's warm for sure. Well, um, and I, I think what I've kind of taken away from all of this is you can be a fantastic driver in F2 and F3, but when you get to the big show, the difference between the cars is so... I mean, the gap between F2 and F1 is incredible, right? So Mm -hmm. those F2 cars are, they're fun to watch, but you know, you can, you can really get caught up in the spectacle that is the big, the big race, the big series. So. Mm -hmm. No, I would, I would agree. Um, yeah, one other thing before, I don't know, maybe we shift gears or whatever. Uh, just announced today, the time we're recording, or maybe it's yesterday, um, Joe Guan Yu re-signs for Alfa Romeo for 2024. I was wondering what you thought about that. Someone that maybe, you know, I believe is in his third season there um maybe someone that hasn't totally 
sort of catapulted into the top half there, really put in a ton of great performances. But I don't know. What do you think of that one? I think it what it comes down to is what you pay a driver. And if they're com- comfortable with him in the program and he probably didn't get a big bump to re-sign, he just wanted to be in the car. And as we know, um, the upcoming seasons are going to shuttle the Alfa Romeo, um, what sponsorship, uh, there, <laughs> I mean, it's not an Alfa Romeo. It has nothing to do with Alfa Romeo. It's just no. basically, you know, a livery on the car. Mm-hmm. And they probably are like, well, this guy's, you know, he runs around in the back of the pack and who, who else are we going to, I, I, I fully believe it comes down to, we don't have money to go pick up, you know, even a Logan Sargent or an Alex Albon or, you know, that's what it comes down to is, is is contract negotiations so yeah i do think he's a marketable driver just because you tap into the chinese market there with a large fan base that's kind of gone uh gone under the under the rug just because they don't race in china at the moment but uh for a number of different reasons but i do think I don't know. He's never really been that inspiring to me, but um, I don't know. We'll see. I, it does seem kind of like uh, Alfa Romeo in that Sauber team are maybe just kind of holding out until the new regs come in 2026. And it does, I sort of get that impression from a couple other teams on the grid as well. It's just pay the bills and, let's wait for this entire series to kind of flip on its head in 2026. Yeah. All right. Well, I will say maybe just as a, a little bit of, of, of fun, uh, does anyone other than Max Verstappen win the Singapore Grand Prix for you? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Me either. Just wondering. Had to pick the brain, right? It has to be a something bad happen and they're they're at the point red bulls at the point where they're just that good so Mm -hmm. but i'm going to um step off for two seconds here to adjust the tv in my my right eyeball here it's it's disturbing me so (laughs) okay well, in that case, I will, uh, I suppose, do a little transition here. I would, before we kind of moved on to some other stuff, I thought it would be at least uh, worth noting to talk about uh, the end of the IndyCar season and um, what's been going on there. So if you haven't kept up to date on the IndyCar season, it has now come to an end. And the champion there was Alex Poe of Chip Ganassi Racing, 
Alex, uh, two-time champion now. He won it in 2021. And then Will Power took it for Penske last year uh, before Polo uh, wrestled it back. And honestly, wrestled it back probably too strong of a term uh, because he didn't really... I mean, there wasn't a ton of competition there at the front in terms of challenging him a ton week in and week out. Um, Basically, what, what... got him to where he is now is the run of uh i think it was four races in a row that he won so um just to uh catch you up uh to my co-host here i'm talking about alex polo and his finish the the indycar season here um basically he went on this big tear in the summer of I believe four races in a row where he won. And then he was, you know, pretty consistently on the podium. Um, And then he sealed it, not, uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before to win his second championship. So any thoughts on that one for you? Well, we, we know having followed IndyCar for quite some time that, you know, there's, two pretty dominant teams it's andretti motorsport and um penske yeah and chip ganassi ganassi yeah um but if i'm not mistaken i think that your driver david malukas signed Mm -hmm. with andretti autosport right era mclaren oh mclaren yeah so mclaren ditched uh felix rosenquist uh for um for david malukas uh i believe rosenquist oh now i'm just guessing i don't want to guess but he found another team um so he's he's still in the game uh yeah but which is fine because mm-hmm. um, we know that Malukas came into the series as kind of a single funded team by his father. Yeah. And you and I had the great opportunity to talk to one of the crew members at the 500. Um, and we realized that, hey, you know, this guy's dad has a trucking business yeah he's he's funding the team and and so the the greatest thing ever is to get picked up by an arrow mclaren yeah i was really excited to see that one running i'm going to be honest i think he i don't know what offers he had necessarily the rumor mill i also saw uh rll uh ray hall and um of course, Andretti, but I feel like he dodged a major bullet not going with Andretti, uh, who not not necessarily been a shit show, but let's be honest, they're not they weren't uh, as well oiled of a machine as Ganassi these past couple years or really ever. But um, yeah, I, and I, and the the second bullet was, and this kind of hurts my heart to say because I've always been a Ray Hall, Lanigan, Letterman guy. 
uh, Ohio roots, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. With that team. Uh, but it's, it all comes down to who can build the best car and who builds the best car teams with the most money. Yeah. And even though, I mean, you, the names, Ray Hall, Lanigan, Letterman, but for Letterman, it's always just been kind of a, um, a side show. Yeah. (laughs) They're, you know, Arrow McLaren is Zach Brown is over that team as well. Yeah. You know, he's the CEO of racing for McLaren. So yeah, just in general, uh, hopefully Malukas can get a seat in that car. And I, I'm really looking forward to next season and especially the 500. I would love to see that kid shine. Yeah, I think that's his biggest selling point is his oval racing. Uh, he's finished second and third at um, at Gateway in St. Louis. And then he's also finished well um, at Texas. And he's raced well at the 500, not this year due to mechanical issues. But um, I, I think th- he's definitely kind of a project, but... We, he's someone that sort of punched above the weight of that Dale coin racing team, uh, for a few, a couple of seasons now. And he's definitely, I think Zach Brown and whoever makes the decisions at Aero McLaren know that this is a guy, especially, uh, at the 500 is someone that can compete for wins because he's always been good on ovals. I think that's always kind of been his strong suit. Um, and let's be real, <laughs> what race pays the bills for all of these teams? The Indy 500. So right. I, I think um, I think that's a very focused uh, pick for Aero McLaren. And also, I mean, why wouldn't you want to be involved with that McLaren project right now? I mean, up and coming... In, at least in the IndyCar scene, investing a lot of money into IndyCar. It's not just their, they're not treating it just like their farm team for F1. You know, this is a series they want to be in and dominate. Um, and your, your teammates being Alexander Rossi, who we know has droves of fans, uh, winner of that 100th running 500, and Pato Award, who, I mean, is probably the most marketable uh, IndyCar driver right now. So, very exciting. Yeah, I I think Zach Brown has his finger on the pulse of the USA. And while, while um, F1 has injected itself into the American racing icon. It's still for a lot of people, um, IndyCar and NASCAR. Mm -hmm. So to see them kind of building a team that people will watch and Malukas is, is, a driver that people 
should <laughs> and will yeah. watch, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. it, it, it's the best possible scenario. So your father owns a trucking company and you're good in go-karts. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, we can build a car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, imagine the, imagine the, the ask for a family business to create a race team. Yeah. And that's how so much of this, you know, stuff starts. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to, to see him be taken by Aero McLaren and possibly if the talent, which we think is, is there, I'm super stoked. Yeah. I think it's going to be really exciting. I hope it works out well for him, but as a biased fan of his, but uh, I do think McLaren is one of the places to be in IndyCar and just in general in the world of racing. But uh, yeah, so that was, I guess a little bit of IndyCar uh, catch up. So that for, unfortunately uh, kind of spells the end of the, the IndyCar season uh, for this year. Uh, probably the closest I've ever followed it. So uh, hoping I only uh, get even more invested into it next year and, you know, keep going to races and whatnot. It's a lot of fun. I think, you know, what we always preached on this show is that, you know, if you want to get close to the action and meet your drivers and teams and whatnot, uh, IndyCar is definitely the place to be. Um, you know, it, it's it's a big series. It's a very professional series. So it doesn't feel like Bush League or anything like that. But, you know, it's still like got sort of that close knit feel to where you can you can re- get really, really close to the action. Yeah. And that's that's the great thing about the series is, you know, I don't think you quite expected when we went to mid-Ohio a couple of years ago to be in the garage, mm-hmm. garage, <laughs> the garage, <laughs> be that close to just the action and it's achievable obtainable it's not quite as expensive as some of these other series and nascar's quite the same um i think you know that's f1 needs to kind of dial it back a notch which they (laughs) never will yeah (laughs) it's always going to be um, elitist a bit, but that's kind of why the other series exist as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. I don't Fair know. enough. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. So did you, you mentioned you wanted to pick my brain about some, some NASCAR stuff before we moved on to the soccer end of things right is that true yeah so just give me your overarching view of where we're kind of at with 
the playoff end of the series who's mm-hmm. on your radar um i'm a i'm a huge chris busher fan <laughs> that's just yeah i guess if i had to, ch- to choose a driver it'd be busher so yeah fair enough i mean if you haven't really been kind of closely following uh nascar this year it's it's been largely dominated by um, a few drivers, William Byron being one of them, five wins this season, if I'm not mistaken. Martin Truex Jr. actually took the regular season championship. I'm using air quotes because it's not really a big deal, uh, except for the fact that it shows that he was the most consistent in the regular season. Uh, and then Chris Busher has kind of been the surprise package of the of the year. He's won a few races um, with uh, Roush Fenway Kozlowski racing, which is not one of the traditional powerhouses of NASCAR. And Fords in general this year have not been that good. Actually, I would say been pretty bad. Uh, so Busher seems to be the only guy that's driving a Ford that can really get everything out of it, <laughs> it seems like. So, uh, yeah, I think he's been the surprise package for sure, and it's been pretty refreshing to see that. Um, in terms of where we're at in the season, uh, so we have Bristol uh, night race, and I believe that is uh, this Saturday. Um, that is a cutoff race for the first round of the playoffs, the round of 16. Um, and basically the drivers that are in danger are, um, Michael McDowell, who's basically out unless he wins, uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who is also kind of, and then Bubba Wallace is 19 points down, not totally, um, insurmountable but is definitely going to need a lot of things to go his way and then martin truex jr seven points down but um weirdly unfortunately bubba wallace was racing pretty much in second place all day last week before his uh good year rubber blew up and uh he smashed into the wall um so literally nothing he could have done there and then finished like 30 something so everything that could have gone wrong did so he's now in a in a pretty sticky situation where he's going to be needing uh, a pretty damn good performance at the least um so that's pretty upsetting as as a fan of his but i will say in general got to be pretty happy with the way it's gone being in the playoffs consistently running you know, in the top 10, it's just, you know, the, the win, the race win has been pretty elusive, which has been, uh, kind of annoying, I will say, but what are you going to do? Well, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to win a race. Yeah. And you tune in to these GPs and these IndyCar races and these NASCAR races. And you, and you kind of, as a fan and as an 
observer of races, you're not quite, you really don't get how hard <laughs> it is to win. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it looks easy on TV, but it's not. So, um, you know, it, it just, there's so many things, especially in NASCAR where the, the cars are racing so closely to each other yeah. and, you know, strategy, tires, fuel, same thing with all the other series, but, um, yeah, it's, it's not, a, it's not easy. No, no, it is not. No, it is not. And I think NASCAR is a series that has, it, it's, it has the most sort of unpredictableness of any of the series. It's genuinely the only racing series that I know of where you go into the race and you have no idea really who's going to win. So there, of course, you can always make educated guesses and sometimes you might be right. You know, there's definitely guys you can go, there's no way they win. There's no way they win. There's no way they win. But there's not really ever a time where you can just be like, yeah, this is, I am really, really confident in this driver winning. So I, I do think that it makes it very interesting. But if at the same time, you know, it, it does get quite annoying when, you know, you get wrecked out at, in the last lap or whatever and someone who maybe didn't really deserve to win does. I think that's kind of my only real problem with NASCAR in terms of the on-track stuff. Um, but, yeah, I guess that's just the way that style of racing goes. But Yeah, and what it comes down to typically is, you know, they have so many um, green light checkers or caution lights that really throw it throws a wrench into <laughs> the strategy for these teams so yeah <laughs> yeah it is fun to watch no it is really fun and it gets really interesting in the playoffs especially uh i not gonna defend the playoff system necessarily i don't think it's a amazing way to <laughs> crown a champion in racing but that's what it is and it does definitely offer the dramatics which i think is what they're mostly concerned about so yeah, yeah i guess that's uh that's the sort of the pulse of the nascar series right now uh it'll probably end up being a hendrick driver that wins the championship like it is a, a lot of times but hey uh it is always a series that love it or hate it offers quite a bit of entertainment so fun to watch for sure. All right. Well, I guess that'll um, lead us into our final segment of the show. Uh, we should probably talk a little bit about soccer. And like I kind of prefaced before 
not a whole lot going on right now. But I will say um, we were just talking about uh, entertaining sports. Uh, I'll pose you this question. Do you want to know what's not entertaining? Silence. Um, hamstring pulls? Well, yeah, I mean, that's not either. But I was just going to say uh, Greg Berhalter in the United States men's national team. Uh, so the <laughs> the September international window uh, beckons back and, and uh, allows for Mr. Greg Berhalter's triumphant return after his... Um, his um, his ball club uh, exited the round of 16 in the uh, previous World Cup, uh, and then he got into a bit of a sticky situation afterwards when Giovanni Reina and his family uh, were upset with Gio's playing time at the World Cup uh, and basically uncovered a... 30-year-old domestic dispute with Greg Berhalter's uh, significant other uh, trying to basically blackmail him and get him fired um, or not re-signed, I suppose, because he was in a contract negotiation situation. Basically, all of this to say the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, hired, rehired Greg Berhalter uh, for what will most likely be another World Cup cycle. And uh, I guess you could really say now the, the cycle has totally kicked off. And it was two friendlies, uh, this international break, um, between um, the Asian giants of Uzbekistan and Oman at home in front of half-capacity crowds, so I think you might be able to tell by the tone of my voice this wasn't all uh, that great of a window, <laughs> um, because I don't know. I can't even pretend to be jazzed up about uh, this uh, international window. You pretty much don't learn anything about the team. Um, what was interesting, I guess, was seeing more of Thor and Balogun our uh, our new star uh, striker and seeing you know the the top dogs uh, of the U.S. men's national team playing together. Um, I I don't know I so basically the first match was against Uzbekistan and the United States um, were able to defeat the the mighty nation three nil but. Basically, from what the the sort of the the takeaways there was that it was a really dry sort of slow and a little bit lethargic brand of soccer that Greg Berhalter was playing, and it wasn't really all that exciting, um, which I would say is kind of the norm uh, for him. Uh, the last time around, it, it always seemed a little bit like detached and uh, maybe like there wasn't always a super solid style of play. And, you know, when he would be asked about it, he wouldn't ever really give you any sort of concrete answers into how he would want to play. 
Um, so not a ton to talk about there. And then really, you know, with this U.S. Oman game, I guess the real standouts here were just uh, the U.S. featuring some new players. So we had Christopher Lund, um, 21-year-old left back, uh, plays his uh, club ball uh, for Palermo in Italy, their second-tier Italian club. Makes you wonder how they even find these people because when they announced the roster, I didn't. I didn't even know who that was, and that's pretty rare for me. I feel like I'm pretty well in touch with our player pool. Um, and he seemed like he was, in this match at least against Oman, serviceable, if not ever really going to be a starter. It did seem like he had the urge to sort of go forward and attack. Um, but... Uh, other than that, uh, we also saw the debut of Benjamin Kramaski, um, 18-year-old central midfielder. He plays for Inter Miami, or Inter Messi, uh, as some would call him now, uh, in MLS. Um, didn't really play all that much, but another debut. And yeah, uh, in this game... Not a whole lot to take away from it, as I already said. Uh, Fuller and Balligan gets on the board. Also saw a free kick uh, converted into a goal by Brendan Aronson. That was not really all that impressive. Pretty much just bad goalkeeping. Um, and Ricardo Pepe also scored as well in this one. So basically moral of the story here, uh, international friendlies at home against very weak opponents does not make for super entertaining stuff. And so coming off the break, is there anything that we should discuss as far as games or mm -hmm. positions? Yeah, so let's take a look at some of the, the slate here um, for this upcoming weekend just because it's been a while since we've actually talked about some club footy. And uh, so the, the Premier League will be returning Saturday. Uh, and I'm just taking a look at some games that are kind of standing out to me. Uh, Saturday, Man United versus Brighton, uh, I think is sort of the, the heavyweight one there. Uh, we've talked about Brighton a little bit before. Um, basically, for my money, the most entertaining team to watch in the Premier League right now. Um, and Man United are probably underperforming on their expectations right now. Um, but definitely one to at least keep an eye on. And I think I'll make the call for which ones we will cover for next time uh, closer to it. Um, and yeah, not, not super heavyweight, uh, stuff here in the Premier League. Uh, if we turn our attention to Scotland, um, the televised match will be St. Johnston versus Rangers. Again, not super inspiring, but we'll probably have to do our due diligence there and, uh, give that a watch. Let's see if, 
if you remember last time out, Celtic uh, scrappily defeated Rangers at Ibrox. So I think it's kind of over to Rangers to respond um, and sort of get back into the, the fold here. Celtic will take on Dundee um, at Celtic Park. Hearts versus Aberdeen. I have no idea how this one isn't the one that was televised. Um, both of them starting out kind of slow, but still really um, definitely big names in Scotland. And I think a much better matchup than St. Johnston versus Rangers. But I digress. We've talked about the... the well, sc- it is yeah. Rangers. Yeah. Uh, and that's... You basically just said what the guys over at Sky Sports say every week um, when they're selecting which one soccer match they're going to show from Scotland. Uh, Basically, it comes down to, uh, well, we've got a really good matchup here between some good sides in Scotland. Oh, well, it is Rangers, though. Rangers are playing uh, away to St. Johnston, which I guess equates to a better match than hearts versus Aberdeen. Um, but yeah, not, not great stuff there. Um, but yeah, that's sort of all we got, uh, for this week. Pretty real, actually very slow right now in terms of what we cover for soccer. So, uh, next week should definitely provide some more drama and intrigue. I will say, I guess we should, um, at least give a refresher of what's going on in the table. So in Scotland, uh, every team has played four matches. Your top three look like Celtic in first with 10 points and then Motherwell in second, but also on 10 points. Uh, And St. Mirren in third on eight points. And then looking at the bottom, it's St. Johnston with two. Aberdeen, surprisingly, only on two points. And then Hibernian, Hibernian in three. They just hired a new manager. They sacked Lee Johnson uh, after a very slow start to the league campaign. Uh, in England, it's Man City on top with 12 points. And then in second, Ange Postacoglu's Tottenham with 10 points. Uh, and then Liverpool, West Ham, and Arsenal all on 10 points. And then at the bottom, Burnley with no points. Luton Town with no points in Everton uh, on one point. So that's your relegation zone, but still pretty early. Uh, not a whole lot you can read into the uh, the table right now. But um, yeah, I think we have at least two matches we'll get into next week and also the Singapore GP. So looking forward to it. Yeah. So um, I will be jetting to Port lauderdale mm-hmm. <laughs> next week and we'll touch and go with potential podcast from there if not we'll see you probably the week after yeah um and we can cover the sing singapore gp and the rest of all things soccer. Yes, indeed. All right. I think that's, um, you good? 
Yeah, I think we are good. All right. Let's uh, get gone, as they say. For executive producers, Richard Tanaka. And that is our only executive producer this week. This has been Tackling the Chicane. We will see you next time.